listening to 30 on Broadway, Talking Blue Shirts, on the Face Off Hockey Network. All right, hey everybody, we've got a brand new 30 on Broadway. We're back. Holiday hiatus. We 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 rode to the top. The Rangers are on top of the NHL, and we've got a special episode coming up for you tonight. Jake Hahn of Sirius XM NHL Network Radio will be joining us very shortly to talk about the top team in the NHL, the New York Rangers. Yep. Feels the, nice. The the best team in the entire National Hockey League. Last time we talked, I think what the Rangers were rolling through Thanksgiving. We said things were going well. And things then were going well. COVID kind of, you know. COVID had, well, okay. Let, let's do a rundown. The holidays at the FHN were kind of crazy. Um, Chris finished, finally concluded his move from the West Coast back to the correct coast. And it is back on the East Coast where he belongs. So we have correct. we have that. Yes, the correct coast. Then COVID, COVID just hit. decided it was going to absolutely bend the NHL over a barrel and show it to 50 states. And also so, affect the FHN as well. We've had it that, with a couple of members of the uh, FHN that have come uh, down with it. Thankfully on the on the mend. But yeah. Yeah, it's been a crazy holiday season, and, and all in all, you know, we, we've been off for about a couple of weeks. Um, you know, we I think the last episode we talked, the Rangers got smoked by Colorado, and we said, you know what, whatever, don't worry about it. No, that was – it was – we did an episode, and then the, ne- the next game, we actually didn't get the Colorado game in there. Or are you no, talking about the Colorado game? The, the Adam Husky game. The Adam Husky game. Yeah, right? and we, we said, you know, no big deal. We didn't get the second Colorado game. We've been kind of off from there, and the NHL has gone crazy. But, hey, it's a new year. Hope you all had a wonderful New Year's, a safe and happy one. New Year, save me. I am not changing. I refuse to change. Whatever. 2022, hopefully it's it's not, you know, 2020 <laughs> 2.0. Hopefully we're moving forward and we can start to get over all this crap and get going. But for right now, the Rangers are rolling. Things are looking great. It has been you know, just awesome to see. And we're going to be talking with Jake coming up right now about all of it. Hey guys, before we jump into our next segment, I want to talk to you guys about a brand new partner that we are absolutely pumped about. Symbol is the stock market for sports that allows you to profit off your sports knowledge. On Symbol, you can trade sports teams like stocks, including hockey, including your New York Rangers. And every time your team wins, you earn cash, which is great for the Rangers right now because they're winning. Use your sports knowledge on Symbol to buy low, sell high, and earn cash payouts when your team wins. Join the 8,000-plus early adopters who have started to invest in their favorite teams. Visit www.symbol.com to create a free account. When you deposit, use the promo code, the FHN, for a money-back guarantee. Yes, you heard that right. Symbol is offering a money-back guarantee to all our listeners. That guarantee means even if you lose money in the first 90 days, Symbol will refund your initial deposit, no questions asked. Again, visit Symbol.com and use the promo code VFHN, and your deposit will have a money-back guarantee up to $500. 
Join Symbol and start investing and profiting from your favorite teams. Okay, we are back on 30 on Broadway talking blue shirts. And we are so glad to have Jay Khan from SiriusXM NHL Network Radio joining us yet again. Jake, how are you doing? Doing great, Nick. Good to talk to you again. And uh, I don't know if I could say I'm doing as good as your New York Rangers right now. <laughs> we flipped the calendar. They're still winning hockey games. I think last time I talked to you, you know, we were positive for the most part, but uh, I think that they've taken things to another level here. So I'm I'm really pumped to get into it with you and, and kind of get your thoughts actually on everything that's going on with the, with the Rangers here. Well, I, I got to tell you, I am thrilled. I mean, I thought this season the Rangers were going to be good. I didn't know they'd be this good. And I mean, there, there was some, I, I will say this and Chris, you can back me up on this. I was wholeheartedly in on Gerard Gallant. That was my number one. That's who I wanted. As soon as we fired David Quinn, that was actually, I wanted Gallant since before we fired Quinn. As Long time. Be, yeah. As soon as he became available again for Vegas, I was like, fire DQ, go get Gallant because I am just a Gallant guy. I love how he developed Sasha Barkov and Huberto in Florida, and he he built a winning culture that took a couple steps back with Bob Bugner, and then you know they found their legs again under Joe Quinville and now uh, Andrew Burnett. But he just and then he goes to Vegas and he builds a culture, a winning culture. There is something to be said about the way Turk comes in and just demands that you play a certain way. It's it's almost like he's John Tortorella without all the bad stuff associated with Tortorella. And I was always a Tortorella disciple. So this was right up my alley. And the fact that he's come in and with pretty much the same roster that Quinn had has turned this into one of the best teams in the league has me blown away. Yeah. It, I mean, and it, it's the development of them over the course of just this season, I think has been so interesting. I actually got a chance to see, and I'm sure you've been to a, at least a couple games live this year for the Rangers. I got a chance to see them come through Toronto live both times that they came to Toronto. And I thought they looked good, but there was something left to be desired there. It still felt like they were relying a little bit too much on the goaltending. And I always thought even watching those games that, you know, this could be a really dangerous team because if they're winning games still, while not you know, while not actually playing at their best, while not getting scoring from everybody in the lineup. And yeah, maybe they're banking a bit too much on the goaltending, but I still believe in the talent of this roster. When that part of it starts to click, they're going to become a really dangerous team because they can beat you by outscoring you. They can beat you by outplaying you. And then on those nights where they don't necessarily have their best game, and that's going to happen a lot in an 82 game season, then you can rely on the goaltending and you know you've got that solid goaltending to, to stand back on. So I, I just think that we've seen this team take step after step. And I'm I'm totally with you on Gerard Gallant. It felt like in the offseason, it was, okay, if you were a, a, a head coach in the NHL without a job, it felt like the destination that would be the best ticket for you. A team with a lot of talent that has a chance to compete for Stanley Cups in the next three to five years. And if you were a team looking for a head coach, Gerard Gallant seemed like the best option. He seemed like the, the biggest name out there, the bet, the most, the closest thing to a sure bet out there in terms of coaches that were available on the market. So it really seemed like a match made in heaven. It was best available position for a head coach out there and best head coach available. And now we're seeing the results take shape. I, I know we're still pretty early in the Gerard Gallant tenure here, but you got to be really happy with, with how things have gone so far and the potential for things to, to get even better. Oh, for sure. I mean, the, the biggest thing is, and I, and I didn't think this was possible, and Chris and I had joked about this all year, was 
he has unlocked something in Chris Kreider. There <laughs> yeah. has been, there has finally consistency. been a finally. consistency to Chris yeah. Kreider that him and I and a lot of other Ranger fans have pined for because it's just like he was always the guy. We always used to joke when you go to sit and eat and you have a good meal, but then like the dessert just isn't there and it leaves you wanting more. That to me was Chris Kreider. His Ranger career up to this point was you would see flashes of it. You'd see a little bit of that dominance. And then he would take a three week hiatus and just, you know, go on cruise control for a bit. And he'd still finish with 25 goals. And that was the thing that was always the most maddening thing, at least to me was you could see that this is a, you know, an easy 30 goal scorer if he just brings it every single night and now it seems Galan has just, I don't know what he's done, but whatever it is, please keep doing it because worked so far. I, yeah. I mean, we're 33 games into the season and Kreider has 20 goals. So if he doesn't score 30 this year, I, I will never let up on him ever. <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do you think maybe some of that too is just more talent around him now than maybe in previous years, like more of a complete roster we know how good Panarin is we know how good Sabanajad is and some of these other surrounding pieces you're seeing the younger guys maybe take a bit of a step this year as well just taking some of the pressure off Chris Kreider on a nightly basis that he doesn't have to go out there and score like you want him to score every night obviously but he doesn't have necessarily that pressure because he knows Panarin could step up or Zibanejad could step up or this deep roster, you know, maybe someone on the third line can score. Maybe that has something to do with the consistency that, that Chris Kreider's found. But um, one of his strengths has, has always been on that, on that power play in front of the net tipping pucks. And we saw him do it again uh, earlier this week against the Edmonton Oilers. So just plant yourself there. Let, let all those other guys move the puck around. I, I think the, the puck movement on the Rangers power play uh, really stood out to me the other night and recently as well. Just there's so much talent on there, whether it's a Jad or Panarin or Adam Fox that can just draw defenders to them and then free up space for other guys uh, to make plays. It just sometimes seems too easy for them passing the puck around on the power play because they have so much talent there. Oh yeah. And I think sometimes they actually get a little bit pass happy because they're, they're looking for that almost perfect shot. And, you yeah. know, I, I remember my dad drilling it into my head as a kid. The only perfect shot is the one that goes into the back of the net. There is no <laughs> perfect shot. So, you know, with me, it was always like a shoot first. A, a, anything you can, get it on net. Good things happen, get it on net. The the one thing that I, I just – I that if I have one issue with the coaching staff so far is, is the top power play unit that they don't have the dual one-time option from either circle. And that's one thing I wish they would copy from Tampa Bay because when, when they're fully healthy, you have Stamkos in the left circle and you have Kucherov in the right circle. And then you have Hedman at the point and uh, point in the bumper slot, just look, you know, moving everything back and forth, looking for an option with the Rangers, you know, you have Zibanejad looking for the one timer. you have Panarin at one point Fox at the other point, and then they have Strom in the right circle. And I like Ryan Strom. I do. I I've been on the bandwagon to extend them. I love him as a sec a second line center for this team, but I just wish they would either use Kako or Lafreniere in that right circle. And I, I don't understand what the hesitancy is yet to do that. I think I'd like to see Kako there of any of the players, just from what I've seen. And it's still so early in the career of him 
and Lafreniere to know maybe what their strengths and what their weaknesses are. But it does seem like he has a great shot and could get off that one-timer that you're talking about. And then maybe you free up uh, an opportunity to throw Ryan Strom down on that second power play unit, spread spread the talent around a little bit. But uh, it, it does seem like it's something you can tinker with as the season goes on. I don't think it's anything to be too concerned about right now because they just have so many different ways to beat you on that power play, whether it is advantage ad. And, and I think sometimes, to your point earlier too, just keeping it simple. Like the, the goal that they scored on the power play Monday against Edmonton was just a simple little wrist shot through traffic. Chris Kreider gets a stick on it. It trickles in uh, and it, and it grow, goes across the line. I think a lot of teams and, and you just mentioned how the Rangers can be guilty of it sometimes. And I think you can say that for a lot of skilled power plays around the NHL that sometimes they just get a little bit too cute, too much passing. You spend a minute of your power play just passing it around, looking for that opportunity. Then the, the, the penalty kill breaks a pass up, throws it down and there goes your power play. So sometimes just that little weak wrister through some traffic, try to get a stick on it, try to get a rebound. That can sometimes be the, the best cure for a power play. Oh yeah. yeah and I think, and I think that goes back to, to Kreider as well with the consistency is just the simple plays, you know, just him parked in front of the net and, you know, you have that tip in opportunity. He's so good. And he's shown it this season, especially he's so good at deflecting the puck and it, it looks easy and it looks like simple tap-ins and things, but you, you know, those are bang, bang plays, but they're simple, but they're not easy to do. And he's just, he's made it look so simple. And so he's, he's just, taking it to a whole nother level. And it was one of the big things that we talked about in the off season with, with this roster with, with Gerard Gallant was, is Kreider going to bring it? Because, you know, right out the gate, Gallant said he's going to demand and we've seen it. So it's, it's, you know, we've seen the, the truth of it. He's going to demand you bring it night in and night out shift and shift after shift. And we sat here and we were wondering, all right, what is going to happen with Kreider? Is, is Kreider going to, to fall in and is he going to hit the, the potential what we we see could be there um so to see it and to see it not tapering off except for a couple of games here and there has been has been nothing short of amazing and it's helped a lot when you know you've had guys like Zabanajad who who you know started off slow and has has really come on especially the other night against against Tampa um so it's given the ability of other players to kind of move up and down the lineups, kind of start hot, not, not be hot, go through stretches where they're not playing so great. And it hasn't really affected the team overall in, in a, in a really negative way. Um, you know, we saw them start the season and, and this was one of the things that we talked about. Like, like you even said, Jake, they were relying on the goaltending um, Igor really the, the opening record for this team, really was Igor's record. It was, I mean, yeah. <laughs> and, and we were sitting here going, all right, they're winning. That's great. This isn't sustainable, but they've, they've continued to find ways to win, even when they're not playing well or, or they're not scoring or they're not doing things. The, the defense has stepped up. Igor has been terrific all season, or they've found ways to just plow through you and score, score at will. Um, so it's been, it's been a little bit of a roller coaster kind of season, in terms of what do we got here, but to go into the new year and here we are 2022 the Rangers are sitting top of the NHL. I don't think a lot of people peg that to be the, the position right now and to be, it looks like we're continuing to trend upwards. Yeah. I think, I think one thing that I personally didn't give the Rangers maybe enough credit for, or maybe I overlooked going into the season was how deep they actually are uh, offensively. And, you know, we're seeing it right now with a guy like Artemi Panarin out of the lineup that, 
I don't want to say they don't miss a beat because when you're missing Panarin, you're missing literally one of the best players in the NHL. I, I think the world of Artemi Panarin, but the fact that you can still win games and you feel confident to win those games, you can lean on Zabanej out a little bit. You know, Chris Kreider, we've, we've already talked about him, how consistent he's been. And, you know, Nick brought up Ryan Strom that, that he likes him as kind of that second line center role, however they want to move him around the lineup. But if you go even deeper down the lineup, there's guys that step up on a nightly basis now. And I, I think that we are starting to see Kako and Lafreniere take at least a small step this year and we've seen it in flashes from them and even you know guys on the fourth line that can contribute sometimes offensively as well so that was one thing you know I kind of looked at the Rangers as a a good team a legit team going into the year with some superstar players up front but I don't think I gave them enough credit for the depth that they have and the amount of guys that could beat you on a nightly basis oh yeah and I and I will say one thing this this latest little stretch here this three-game run Barkley Goodrow, that contract is yeah, I was just going to mention that. Yep. Like, yeah. I mean, and I know a lot of Ranger fans didn't like the signing because they thought they overpaid. Was it an overpayment? Yeah, in terms of years, definitely. But I, I always look at it this way, and I, I've always been a firm believer in this. You overpay on good players. You don't ever get in, in trouble by overpaying good players. You get in trouble by overpaying, you know, bottom six or a bottom pair defenseman more than what they're worth. When we saw with, when the Rangers had Dan Girardi, you know, when they, his contract extension came back to haunt the Rangers. So it's like, but Goodrow, especially with Panarin out the last couple of games, he, the offense has come from nowhere. I never expected that from Barkley Goodrow. I always looked at it. What you're going to get solid defense, a guy who can play center and wing can offer you that bottom six versatility that you're always looking for you know, a better version of Jesper Foss. That's literally what I was looking yeah. at. And he's just come out of nowhere and said, you know what? I have a little bit more to my game. And I'm like, okay, this is, this works. I like this. Like, I mean, Kevin Rooney has been a guy this year who has really stepped up from, from the fourth line center role. Ryan Reeves has been a godsend on the fourth line. The love Rangers Reeves. now, I, I mean, I, I love Reva. I mean, when, and Chris, you, you know, we, we were joking about this, uh, before the season the rangers this year have a competent fourth line again it's been a while the first since, time in a long time yeah since ranger fans can look and say okay we have a bottom six that we know we can put out in almost any situation and we will be okay and that's something that a lot of teams just don't have flat i mean the one my one knock against the toronto maple leafs the last couple of years is after the top six there's nothing there that really scares you. The Rangers, at least, you know, in the playoffs have a lineup where you can roll all four lines in any situation and you can trust whoever's out there. And, uh, and quickly too on, on Ryan Reeves, because I'm glad you brought him up. He, and I've been saying this for his entire career, wherever he's been, that he doesn't get enough credit for how good of a hockey player he actually is. I think the narrative you know, around the Rangers bringing him in was, you know, maybe they got pushed around a little bit too much the last couple of years. They need to get tougher to, to battle in that metropolitan division. So they bring in tough guy, Ryan Reeves to, to strike fear in opponents, which to an extent that is one of his jobs, like Ryan Reeves being out there on the ice, Ryan Reeves being on the bench, uh, certainly instills some fear in, in opponents. You know, you're not going to take a cheap shot on a guy when you know that Ryan Reeves could pop over the bench, but he's always been a very underrated hockey player and people don't give him enough credit for that. You know, the narrative around him in the league is that he's just this goon, this tough guy that likes to fight. 
but he's actually very good. And I've always thought that throughout the course of his career, I I've even thought that he's a guy and the Rangers don't need to do this because they have the talent already up front, but he's a guy that you can actually put in your top six that you could put with skilled players. And I think he would give you great minutes. I think he would free up loose pucks for those skilled type of players. Now the Rangers wouldn't have to do that unless they get, you know, terrible injuries, which, which nobody wants to see, but it's nice to have that option that, okay, he can play on your fourth line. He can give you his eight, nine, 10 minutes, but if we ever run into a problem where we're out a bunch of guys, we can actually throw him up on the first line or the second line and, and feel pretty comfortable with what he's going to give us. Oh yeah. yeah. And, and- I, well, I, I was just going to say off that point that the, the biggest thing that I think Reeves has brought to the table besides his physicalness and, and his grittiness, he's brought a mental toughness that this organization has not had in so long. And that's one of the things that I've always tried to hammer home with fans when, oh, you know, Tom Wilson pushed us around and we're not tough. And, you know, we're okay. There's a certain aspect to that, but I think it's more, there's a mindset that you need to have as a team and a guy like Reeves brings that sort of, you know, mental toughness that look, yeah, I'll go out there and do my part to make sure that we're not physically imposed, but there is a belief in this team that, that we haven't seen, in the last couple of years under David Quinn, where Quinn would like to talk about being a tough team to play against. And we're going to be hard to play against. He would give you all the coaching cliches that you love to hear, but then the team wouldn't follow through on it. So there was that disconnect, but now Gallant's message is pretty much the same, but now you have guys, you have Barkley Goodrow, you have Ryan Reeves who had that sort of mental toughness of, all right, yeah, we're down, you know, three, one. All right, boys, it's not the end of the world. Let's go out here, get one. And the momentum will shift and we're right back in this. They believe in what they're doing. They believe in the message. And I think a lot of that comes from those two guys in particular, because when you really look at the difference between last year's team and this year's team, it's those guys that we didn't have that bring that sort of mental edge and mental toughness. It feels like you're not going to push this team around now too, which is something I've noticed this year. And maybe we won't truly know the answer until they get into the playoffs and they get into a matchup with possibly another physical team. And we can see how the, how they can stand up. But I mean, you guys have seen the the hits that Truba's delivered this year. I, I think good, clean hits. It's rare that we see that in the NHL anymore. So I like to see it as long as someone can deliver them cleanly. And it just feels like, Things like that with Reeves, with Truba have reverberated through the lineup and other guys are just standing a bit taller. I mean, even in that game against Edmonton, uh, we saw Truba sort of ragdoll throw Connor McDavid to the ice and there wasn't really much of a response from the Oilers. Like they were the team that was sort of, you know, just with their tails between their legs going back to the bench and the Rangers were actually that sort of team that's standing tall whereas maybe in the past years the rangers would have been that team that had their star player thrown to the ice and it's the other team that's that's sort of intimidating them so that's that's something i think that is very important you know some people will tell you that that's not how you build a team that you don't need that i think you absolutely need that especially if you want to win 16 games in the spring yeah and i think a team you know i always point back to you look at tampa look at what tampa's done look at how they changed their bottom six look at how they you know they had all the top end talent and they just they didn't have the complete package and look what they did. And they went out and they went back to back. And I mean, they they could potentially go a three peat. I mean, it's not out of the question. The, the the toughness of doing that is astronomical, but you're not sitting here saying now the team is done. They're 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 spent. Um, one of the things just to piggyback off of Jacob Truba, and I saw people on social media like screaming that Truba slew foot 
Connor McDavid in front of the net. <laughs> oh, and no. I'm sitting there and I'm going, this to me, and I, and I, I look back at, you know, the true, the hits that he's delivered. And like you, you mentioned, they're good, clean, hard, solid hits. But now it seems like every time one of those hits happens, there has to be a, de- a demand of response. Yeah. And it's like, it's a good, honest play. Like the, the, the one, I, I forget the, the first player that he, that he, yeah, that he unfortunately injured. I mean, it's a terrible, it's a terrible, what happened. You don't want to see a player get injured like that, but the, the plays are literally textbook. I mean, growing up playing, I played, you know, when, when we were taught to check, that's exactly how we were taught to deliver the hit. Now, back then you were also told if a guy's got his head down, you, you ring his bell. And I know that's no longer the way that you look at things and the way you do things, but you're always told shoulder tucked in arm down and you, 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 you push through and you go completely through the body with the check. And you're just seeing that with Truba. And it's, it seems like every time there's a big hit in the NHL, even if it's, if it's clean, there's always this scream. And it's just, I just wonder like, why is it a fundamental that we've gotten away from that we've gotten away from teaching a lot of like younger players coming in, especially players that are going into pros that they've lost kind of that art. And now you're seeing these situations happen and you're seeing, you know, even injuries as well resulting from it, from just not, not playing to be proper. To, to Truba's credit too, like when he's delivered these hits, he's been there to answer the bell. Like he's not shying yeah. away from the fact that somebody's going to co- go after him. And I think, you know, when you're, when you're delivering those kind of hits, if you're Jacob Truba and you know, you just talked about it, this is how the league sort of works now that someone's going to be there to fight you, whether it's clean or not, that somebody is going to step up and, and try to drop the mitts with you. I think that you have to know that if you're going to be a player like Truba and you're going to deliver these hits on a nightly basis, and I want to see him continue to do it as long as it's clean, you have to know right. that you yeah. are going to have to respond. I, I don't think that you can throw your weight around, throw those types of hits and not expect the other team to at least be a little bit upset about it. So I don't necessarily agree that we need a fight after all of these plays, but that right. is, that that's, that's where we're at right now. So if Truba wants <laughs> to do that, I think he has to know that there's going to be implications to it. And from what I've seen, he has no problem uh, stepping up and defending himself after delivering these types of hits. And I, I also think too, when you're, so if somebody hits, you know, my teammate and, you know, we know the game of hockey, especially at the NHL level moves so fast, you don't necessarily know in the moment if it was clean or not. You kind of just see your guy go down. He's on the ice and you're thinking, man, right. he just got lit up. I got to respond. You know, I can't just skate away. Uh, so I, I think the speed of the game takes into a, an account here. And then maybe you fight the guy, you go back and you watch the replay after and you see, oh, well, that actually was kind of a clean hit. Uh, but you, in the in the moment on the ice, you feel like you need to need to respond. So I can understand that from a teammate's perspective. But I like the fact that Truba delivers the hit. He stands there and says, hey, if you want to c- come after me, um, I'm willing to drop the mitts and sit the five minutes as well. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing better than, hey, if your star player is going to come in front of the net, my job as a defenseman is to move you out. And he, yeah. I mean, it was perfect. I mean, textbook, what he did to McDavid. And you don't see a lot of people kind of ragdoll Connor McDavid. He's not a small guy. So to see that, and then, like you said, just to not see the response um, was kind of startling. Um, just to kind of sidetrack, what is going on with Edmonton? Oh, Oh man, we might need to do a separate podcast on. Uh, we on might that. have to, yeah. You might have to come back on for another two for roughing episode just to yeah. talk about the the circus right now. That's the Edmonton Oilers. No but, man, goalies. It is, they they do not believe in in goal. They got more problems Edmonton. than just goaltending, though. There's more yeah. than that. There's I mean, there's a lot going on. 
I, I, I just think when you look at Edmonton, it, it shows how critical it is to be stable in your front office. Because I think a lot of the issues in Edmonton are their roster construction, but I think it's roster construction from previous regimes and nobody willing to actually do the job of saying, okay, let, let's let this marinate for a second because it's hard to sell your fan base when you have two players like McDavid and Dreisaitl, especially, and, you know, I don't know this from personal experience, not living in Canada, but Jake, you can definitely tell me better if I'm wrong here. I think it would be almost harder, like the whole narrative that you couldn't sell a rebuild in New York. And I never believed that because I always believe that New York fans are smart enough that if you show them a clear cut vision and plan and you execute it like Jeff Gordon did, fans will embrace it as long as the vision is simple and it is clear and concise. And it's not football. Well, okay. We're not talking about the Jets. (laughs) Don't, Don't do that. Don't, don't do that. Oh God! You it could have been the right. Giants too. It could have been got, the Giants too. No, it's never the Giants. But all right, all right, keep going. Continue, no. continue. But I think a lot of what's going on in Edmonton, especially now with McDavid and Drysaddle, is I think the front office is a little bit scared to say, okay, we need to like pull back on this and not go, you know, all in. Like the Duncan Key trade never made sense to me, just because he's not the player he used to be. And he doesn't, re- and you still haven't fixed the the net situation. So it's not like you're you're even patching. You know, do, you know, it's not like you're sticking your finger in the hole and praying that water doesn't burst through the dam somewhere else. This is just like okay, we're we're trying to play. You know, we're serving so many masters here, and we're not really getting anything done. Well, and I think we saw like Dave Tippett after the game against the Rangers had a really interesting little press conference, you know, post game, whatever you want to call it. And he, he basically blamed the loss on Koskinen and the goaltending. And you rarely see a coach ever do that. Right. Don't yeah. mention, Oh, we should have been better. Or, you know, it's a team game and, and we all sort of lost together, but he put it on the goaltending and, and the goaltending is a huge issue, but I don't necessarily agree with him that that specific loss was on goaltending. Koskinen leaves his net in the first period. And that's a huge gaffe that's on Koskinen. That's exactly what the Rangers want when they dump the puck in is the goaltender to play the puck and make a mistake like that easy goal for them. But on the second goal and Nick mentions Duncan Keith, Duncan Keith makes a pinch that, and I watched the goal a few times back. It makes no sense why he's pinching there ends up as a three on two rush the other way for the Rangers and Barkley Goodrow gets a, a, a great a scoring chance in the middle of the slot. I, I can't blame Koskinen for that. And I can't blame him for the Chris Kreider tip on the power play either. That's a tip puck in front of the net. A lot of goaltenders would let that one in. So I don't necessarily agree with Tippett that that loss and all the Oilers problems are on goaltending right now. I think it goes well beyond that. This team just has no depth. And I've said this countless times with the Oilers, and this is going back years now, that when they go up against better teams, when they go up against deeper teams, and we've already discussed how we think the Rangers are a deep team. You know, I think teams like Carolina are, are fairly deep. I think Toronto's deep to an extent. We've seen the Leafs give the Oilers tons of problems over the last uh, couple of, of seasons. When they go up against deep teams, when they go up against stiff competition, you can just match up against them. You can slow down McDavid. You can slow down Dreisaitl and let everybody else beat you. I think that there's a, a blueprint and it's a fairly easy blueprint for good teams to follow in beating the Oilers. And they can beat up on the Arizonas and they can beat up on the bottom feeder teams and they can put up six spots and seven spots on those teams 
But when they go up against legit competition, I just think that they're a step below those teams. And I, I honestly don't think that there's an easy answer to fix it. I think that they should have addressed the goaltending before the season even started. And I do think that they still need to do that before the deadline and they will. But even with a goaltender there, another goaltender, I, I still don't think that this is a cup team. Like unless they went and got Vasilevsky or Shesterkin, which is clearly not going to happen. What, like they would need one of the top, top goaltenders in the league. People are throwing Marc-Andre Fleury out there and there's some other names they have. But I don't think that that makes them a, a cup contender, in my opinion. I, I think that their issues go well beyond just going out and getting one goaltender. I'll, I'll trade them Igor Shesterkin for Connor McDavid. The trade is one for one. Go. You know, I, <laughs> Another one for one. <laughs> I, 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 will, I will do that trade one for one. If, so if are you ready for Georgiev to be the starter then? That's. Ooh. <laughs> ooh. Yeah. Ooh. He's been better. I mean, look. He, he hey, yeah, he was give, give Georgie yeah. credit. He's been, when Shesterkin went out, Georgie rose, rose to the occasion for sure. And uh, look, well, Edmonton has not done well. He made last night against McDavid. That was something it was special. It was that, was, yeah. that was impressive. For sure. Um, yeah, the, the Oilers have not done well with one-for-ones on the <laughs> off the Hudson River, so I don't think it'll ever happen again. But to jump back onto the Rangers side, you know, we talked about depth and, and how they're deep in the lineups, but we have seen a couple of times here where there's been, um, you know, we've had to see Dryden Hunt jump up into the top six to play alongside Panarin. Um, we've seen other instances of players kind of floating in and around the lineup do you think that the Rangers should target a second line right winger or a player out of the deadline? You know, Riley Smith was a name that was, was always kind of circling in Vegas. I know that's kind of switched a bit to dad and off. Um, Phil Kessel comes up in every trade rumor now for everybody. Yeah. But do you think the Rangers should go out and, and, and make a move? Do they need to make a tinker to this lineup just to bolster it a bit more? Or what do you think the Rangers should be doing when we close in on the trade deadline? I don't think they necessarily have to. And I, I, you know, I say this about teams that are rolling a lot uh, going into the, the trade deadline is if it's, because not broke, don't fix it. I don't make a move just because the deadline's coming. Like, okay. And I, I think that GMs uh, panic with this sometimes around the league and, and some are maybe more wise to it than others that just because we, we put this deadline there doesn't mean you have to make a trade. If you feel good about your roster, if you feel good about the way things are going, then just let that team play. I, I don't think you want to mess with the chemistry too much. But that being said, if the right deal is out there and you feel like there's some value for a player where you can improve your second line or you can improve your third line and it's not going to throw off the team too much then yeah I, I do think that they need to at least look at making those moves because they're in a position I, I said it on our show today I think that they have a legit claim as a top five team in the NHL right now and if you're a top five team in the NHL you have a legit claim on, on possibly winning the Stanley Cup so these are the types of years that you don't want to waste when you feel like you have that chance when right. you feel like you could compete for a Stanley Cup and if there's the right move out there that, that you think is going to push you over the edge I would certainly make it but I, I also wouldn't put pressure on myself to feel like I have to make a move I, I would feel pretty comfortable with this team at full health going into the playoffs thinking that, that they can certainly win it all am I the only one who has like resigned themselves to Riley Smith being a Ranger <laughs> I, I I feel I I feel like I'm there. I don't know. Not Phil I, Kessel. You're not a Phil Kessel guy. I, no, I am. I do love Kessel. I really do. Yeah. I just I feel like Armstrong's price of you know wanting all the draft picks from every single team in the NHL now. Yeah, he almost got them. He almost has them already. Cornering <laughs> the market on draft picks. Well keep yeah, going. I mean he yeah. he's literally you know your draft pick is not my draft pick. So it's like I I almost don't want to get in business with him at this point. And I feel like 
Vegas will almost be dealing Smith from a position of weakness because you know they're not going to be able to re-sign him. You know he's going elsewhere come the summertime in free agency because of all their cap issues and everything else. I feel like you can have Riley Smith for, you know, possibly a third-round pick and maybe a B-level prospect. So for for the Rangers right now, I, I feel like that just makes too much sense. And plus, he would be coming to a system he already knows, a coach yeah. who he's had great success with. I just feel like it's one of those things where it's like, you know, hand, glove, here we go, put it on, and away we go. You make a lot of good points, too, especially the, uh, the connection with Gerard Gallant and a system that he already knows, a coach that he had a lot of success under. So I, I certainly get that. And he's the type of player, you know, we talk about how physical the Rangers have been and, and the fact that they have improved that part of their game the past couple of seasons. He fits perfectly into that, the way that he plays a bit of a physical brand to his game. So I, I think the fit is certainly there. I, again, I don't think it's a move that they have to go and make and, and shake up the roster completely. But if the price is right and Vegas is willing to, to swing that deal, I, I certainly don't mind it. And I, I think the fit would be there uh, for him to, to join this team, maybe possibly play on the second or third line. Oh, I have yeah. a feeling that's going to be an off season thing now with, with, with Vegas, with patch going on, on long-term that frees yeah. up their cap so issues, that's true. you know, and they're playing. So, I mean, they're playing remarkably good considering all the, the nonsense that they've dealt with injury wise. Well, we're going to get a firsthand I, look at them on Thursday night. We will. Yeah, we will. Um, so it'll be interesting. I'd be, I'd be almost surprised. I, I would kind of be shocked at, at that point if they move them, because I think they're still one of those teams. That's a chant, a possible cup team. Do you do you trade him, or do you do you roll the dice? I mean, not not for a bad Vegas pun, but oh, you know what? You know who just came into my head as oh, a boy. as a as a potential oh, major target? Scary. No, it's not. No, okay. <laughs> because do we need him? No. Would he help? Absolutely. Because I still am not convinced of our of the third pair. I think the Rangers need you know, and you know, at the trade deadline, every team is looking for defense. Yeah, there's a team right now that is absolutely terrible, and they he's on a, he would be a rental. I would 100% be calling Ron Francis on Mark Giordano. And his name, his name has been circulating, it feels like all season. Everyone's making the Flames connection that he's going to go back to Calgary. Yep. And obviously, with what Calgary's doing this year, it makes sense because they're in a position as, again, one of these teams that feels like they have a legit shot this year. So I, I could certainly see that. I mean, if the price is right, it would be great. And those are the types of deadline deals that I tend to like. I'm not a huge deadline guy that I think teams have to go out there and really shake things up. But those the, the, the moves on the on defense seem to make the most sense, because if you plan on winning those 16 games, if you plan on going on that deep Stanley Cup run, you're going to need depth on the back end because you're going to get injuries. It's almost a guarantee that you're going to get injuries if you. You're trying to win four best of seven series. That's long. That's grueling. And you're probably going to get some bumps and bruises. You're going to have guys in another lineup. So you almost need seven, maybe even eight capable defensemen back there that you feel comfortable with throwing into your lineup or else other good teams. And you're going to be facing only good teams come playoff time can really expose your back end. If you start to get banged up and, and having to play AHL level talent back there. Well, to your point, that was the, the Washington Capitals. I thought the one move that they made a couple of years ago when they won the cup, that was the most underrated. Nobody talked about it, but adding Michael Kepney. And yeah. it, it just seemed to completely change their blue line and they were eight and the, their defense got better and away they went. 
Yeah, that and that was and again, those are the types of moves that I think if you're a team that you feel like you're a top five team, you feel like you're a cup contending team, you don't want to mess with things too much. You just want to bring in some depth. That that's all it really is. It's not a player that's going to shake up your lineup. It's not a player that's going to take away minutes necessarily from other guys because I think those are the moves that can tend to get a little bit dangerous for teams. If you're a great team, you're rolling, that room is feeling really good. You, you know, you're all thinking we've got a good thing going here. Then they then a team goes out, makes a big splash, brings in a guy that, that has to play on the first line or has to play on the first pairing, and then everybody's role gets diminished a little bit. I think that that can kind of mentally affect a team a little bit, sometimes in a negative way, because now you have to compensate to bring in, a, you know, a big personality, not necessarily from an ego perspective, but just from a hockey perspective with, with the minutes that they play. So I tend to like those depth moves a little bit more and then save those big fish type moves for the, for the off season. All right. So before we close out a couple of three key, three key Rangers, just to, just to touch on um, we, we mentioned them earlier, Ryan Strom, He's going to be due a contract, you know, for, for a long time, the Rangers, it was always a talk of, all right, the Rangers are going to move Ryan Strom. The, the trade value is high. They trade him. Now it seems like they have to keep him. He seems like he is a, a key, one of the most important pieces on this roster. Um, do you see the Rangers getting him signed? Do you see them bringing him back? And what does it look like if they're able to work it out? Yeah, I'm curious what that would be too, because in, and this is such a tricky deal to do at his age. He's what 28 years old, I believe, right now. You know, getting close to that that 30 threshold where you don't want to go too long term on these guys. But again, if you're paying the right guys, I don't think it's necessarily a big deal to pay guys into their early 30s a little bit. If you feel like you can win cups over the next three to five years, if you have to give him term that takes him into his mid thirties, that takes him to possibly 34, 35 years old. Sure. That might look bad in six years, but if you win a couple Stanley cups or one Stanley cup before then, then who really cares? cares? I will have the, (laughs) I will have the biggest smile on my face ever. You'll, yeah, you'll pay, you'll pay Ryan Stroma's <laughs> contract from your pocket if, if that's the case. But, uh, no, it, it, I mean, it is difficult when you look at the cap situation and you look at the money that they have allocated to other players. I mean, Truba has a lot of term, a lot of money on his deal. Adam Fox, yep. rightfully so, gets the contract. We, you know, we know Panarin makes a lot of money. Also, rightfully so, Zabanajad's paid long-term now. Chris Kreider's paid long-term now. And even Barkley Goodrow, he's locked in long-term at a, a lesser dollar figure. So you start to add it all up and you think, okay, what's left for a guy like Ryan Strom? And, and what kind of money would he be willing to take? But if he's willing to take a little bit of a haircut on the AAV, I think the Rangers could hook him up with the term, which I think at this point of his career would probably be the smart move anyways, to get that term, make sure you're locked up, you know, deep into your thirties. It'll probably be your last big contract in the national hockey league. And then he can return the favor to the Rangers by saying, okay, I'll take a bit of a haircut on the AAV. You're giving me the term on the deal. You're kind of securing me now for life, the rest of my career. And, and I'll, I'll give you guys a little bit of a discount on the AAV so that you can play around with the, with the cap a little bit and, and have a better chance to compete and add, add more players to the roster. Is it naive of me to think that he maybe gets the Ryan Nugent Hopkins extension? Because in an ideal world, that's what I would love. Because I, I think yeah. Nuge is only making around five seven five a year over eight years. I mean, so you, you have the term, like he said, and he took less money to, to stay in Edmonton. I If, if Strom does that, that would only be like a million-dollar bump, a million-two 
from what he's making right now, which would be huge because then it allows you, you know, the, the room to extend Heedle and Lafreniere and Kako coming off their entries, Keandre Miller coming off his entry. So it's, so it would, it would give the Rangers that financial flexibility. Well, and I think the Rangers are also dealing from a point of strength in, in negotiations. If they're trying to lock up Ryan Strom, their selling point to him is simply, we have a cup contending team here. You're 28 years old, 29 years old, when it, whatever age he's going to be when they're, they're really negotiating this deal. You want to compete for cups at this point? This is the place to do it. You feel comfortable. Um, you know, you, you're playing well here. Why would you want to leave and go somewhere else? Why would you want to take maybe a million more per season with another team to be at the bottom of the standings or to be struggling to make the playoffs. So I, I think that right. they have a lot to offer to Ryan Strom in terms of a, a place to play and a place to compete in sort of the, the last good years of his career. And I could certainly see him taking a bit of a discount on the AAV. And I, I think what you said about the Nugent Hopkins deal was sort of how I was playing it out in my mind was that, okay, take the term, we'll hook you up for, for a while. And sure, the deal might not look great in the last couple of years when Ryan Strom's like 34, 35 years old and he's not the same player. Maybe that deal won't look so great, but over the next three years, we think we can legit compete for Stanley Cups. And if you give us a bit of a discount there, we can bring some other, other guys in and, and we can really go for it here. Oh, yeah. And, and the one thing I think the, the major selling point, if I'm Chris Drury, I would turn around and tell him, hey, wherever you go, you're not taking our Timmy Panarin with you. So that's just a little <laughs> something to think about. Yeah, he stays. He stays. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so last one we got before we wrap up. It's, a, it's a, two, a two part. With as good as both of these players have been, and they've, they've been out of this world, do you think Igor – Igor Shosturkin and Adam Fox can both can Igor take home the Vezina and can and can Adam Fox get a repeat on the Norris Trophy? Well, I think as we stand right now, Igor Shosturkin would win the Vezina. If I had a vote, I'm voting Igor Shosturkin. I don't have a vote, by the way. I should have a vote. I would love to. I have agree. A vote. On the Let's awards, give, they, they, need, vote. they need to start giving them to media that follow all the teams, not media that follow just one specific team that <laughs> right, always right. me uh, with the awards. But I would vote for Igor Shosturkin right now. I do think, you know, I, I, we just kind of expect Vasilevsky every year to be great, but the numbers he continues to put up are just unbelievable. So I think when it's all said and done at the end of the year, he'll probably be in the mix with Igor Shosturkin. But yep. I, I just feel like the voters will probably lean more towards Igor just because we, like I said, we expect it with, with uh, Vasilevsky. It's almost like the LeBron James effect where you're event inventing ways for him to not win the MVP or even McDavid <laughs> right. to an extent people talk about, well, how can we give it to somebody else? It's like, how can we give it to somebody else when it comes to the goaltending? And I think that will probably play in if it's, if the numbers are basically the same between Shesterkin and Vasilevsky, I think voters will lean towards Shesterkin just to give it to somebody else. And I think he's had the most positive impact on his team so far. When, when it comes to Fox, I, I think less likely that he's going to go back to back and win the award than Igor would to win the Vesna, not ruling it out. And I think Adam Fox to me has, has been so good this year. He actually might be better this year than he was last year when he won the Vesna. Yeah, yeah. I, I would is, agree. Yeah. And, and I was skeptical last year. I thought, okay, is this just a player that's having a good season? Is he really, you know, are we really seeing the development of one of the, the best young defensemen in the game? And this year, now that I've, I've bit more information on it, I'm, convinced that he is one of the best defensemen in the NHL. So I think he should very much be in the conversation in that top three. I, I just think as long as Kale McCarr continues to do what he's doing, people are going to want to give him the award because he was close last year. 
He feels like he's right there with Adam Fox. It's 1A, 1B in terms of the best young defenseman that maybe they lean towards Kale McCarr and, and it's his turn to, to win the award. And obviously a lot of this factors into to health as well. So I'm going to say yes to Igor winning the Vesna. And I'm going to say Fox finishes a close second to Kale McCarr this year, but they're going to just duke it out for their whole careers and probably exchange Norris's back and forth. Oh, Which I, I, I all on I, board for that. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I wouldn't be upset. I, I look at Fox and McCarr and I just think, the, the way I've always tended to look at defensemen is not by points because, you know, you, you can put up points if you're on a great team just by making a great outlet pass and, you know, you get a secondary or a primary assist. I look at it, how good are you in your own end that you're putting up great numbers, but are you really sacrificing anything in your own end? Fox doesn't do it. And yeah. that's where I think Fox has McCarr. And that's where I, I put Fox on that Victor Hedman level because that's the one thing I've always said about Hedman. Hedman's so great and put, can put up prolific offensive numbers and still not sacrifice anything defensively. That, to me, is the sign of a true great defenseman. And that, I, I think, is what you're seeing with Fox. But I, I agree with you. I think if McCarr keeps going the way he's going, I think just because last year I think a lot of voters – did I, I, there was a lot of backlash? It seemed like for Fox winning the Norris yeah. last year, yeah, which, which kind of shocked me. And I, you know, because I just looked at it based off his play, based off of everything he did, I was like, how could you not give him the Norris? Like, but I think a lot of people felt like McCarr and Hedman both got robbed. And I think if Fox and McCarr's numbers are even at all this year, it's going to go to McCarr just because I think the swing is well. We thought he should have won it last year, so let's give it to him this year. So I think the only way Fox has a chance to repeat, he's going to have to put up some huge numbers down the stretch here and really put distance point-wise between him and Kale McCarr. Yeah, and I, I think, too, the underlying numbers seem to favor Adam Fox. They certainly favored him last year, and I think that was a big reason. One of the deciding factors that really pushed him over the edge, and there was a big wave from that analytics community, from the people that really follow this stuff and, and that do that great work and that, that put in that sort of hard work. Big push from them, I think, to say that, hey, is everyone seeing what's happening here? Like Adam Fox is the best defenseman in the NHL, uh, you know, put points aside, whatever it might be. And it speaks to your point, Nick, too, about the all-round game. I think that that has been sort of difficult for me to wrap my mind around when it comes to this award in particular. I think we lost our way with it for a while. You know, guys like P.K. Subban winning, even Eric Carlson to an extent, who I thought put up great points, was awesome offensively, but always left me nervous defensively, even in his prime years. I didn't feel like he was that all-around defenseman. I think we're coming back around with some of these younger kids. Like Adam Fox, to me, as great as he is offensively, he's probably just as good defensively. He is that complete package. And, you know, maybe he's a step ahead of Kale McCarr defensively right now, but I think Kale McCarr as well for what he does offensively doesn't sacrifice a whole lot defensively too. So for me, I think we're, we're, we're finding this like new breed of, of defensemen with these younger kids. And I like it because I think we lost our way with the Norris trophy a little bit and basically just brought up the stats page and said, okay, who's leading in points. Let's give it to that guy. Uh, yeah, it, it almost, and I, I wasn't a huge fan of his for, for years, but it always felt like Shea Weber got robbed every year in yeah. his prime. I'm a big Weber guy. Yeah. Like it, it was just, it was always, you know, cause you look, Oh, Eric Carlson <laughs> led the league in points. Drew Doughty had a huge point total. You know, you, you look at, you, you look just at one column and it's like, there's more to a defenseman than just how many points can they put up? And it was like, Weber wasn't bad in the points department either. 
And when you told yeah. him what he did for, you know, Nashville and then Montreal, their all-around game, it was like, how is this guy not winning the Norris? Yeah, and I, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, back when when he was in his prime, I was banging the Shea Weber drum every year saying like, this guy needs to win. Um, you know, let, like look at what he does at both ends of the ice. I don't care that he has a few less points than some of these other guys, but sort of felt like a losing battle at the time. And like I said, I think that's why the award got away from us a little bit. And maybe we just got a little bit lazy with it in saying, okay, when it comes time to vote, let's just pull up the points and give it to the guy that, that has the most points instead of truly watching the effect that these guys have on a team and we're even seeing the the effect that Shea Weber has on the Montreal Canadiens at this point of his career right now you know wh- what they did last year going on that miracle run to make the Stanley Cup final now he's not a part of the team and he's not the only reason that they're falling apart but I, I think not having him there is, is a big reason why uh, we're seeing them have the season that they're having oh it's, yeah it's like it's like two years ago when Panarin was uh, in the conversation for the heart and everybody was like yeah but it, you know Dreisaitl we'll look at Dreisaitl's points I was like I get that, but I'm like, look where the Rangers are. They wouldn't even have been in contention to make the bubble had Artemi Panarin not been a New York Ranger and not did what he did. It's like, so if we're going by definition of most valuable to their team, you take Panarin away from the Rangers, they're a, you know, they're a, a, a lottery team. Yeah, it, and it, yeah, the and the, the MVP race is such a it's such a tricky one to get into too, right? Because we tend to now give it the same thing that I just said with the Norris trophy. We tend to just give it to the guy that had the most points at the end of the year, but you're not really looking at the true definition of the award, which is player that's most valuable to their team. And I think it's even more tricky now because you do have the two Oilers doing what they're doing and putting up these gaudy video game like stats and they happen to be on the same team. So some say, Oh, maybe that cancels it out. Like, you know, they have each other. So do we give it to somebody else? But uh, you know, at some point, McDavid puts up 30 more points than everybody in the league. It's it's pretty tough to to not give him the award. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, sure. All right, Jake, we appreciate it as always. Thank you, yeah. thank you so much for joining us. We had a blast. Um, we'll be certain to do this again. Well, always I, love chatting to you, boys. I I will say this, Jake. I can't I can't thank you enough. And it's so good to have you come on when the Rangers are at the top of the league yes. and the Islanders are at the bottom of the league. It just makes everything even better. <laughs> we love, let's, we're starting 2022 off uh, with only positivity, right? Rangers there are on the go. top, Islanders on the bottom. I'm, I'm sure you guys are feeling good about that. And, hey, when I joined you guys early in the season, or I guess it might have been before the season, um, I said this has to be the year for the Rangers to take the step. And yep. so far, we're getting close to the halfway point. I think they've taken a, an absolutely massive step. Oh, there yeah. you go. There you go. All right, Jake, thanks again. All right, boys. Thanks again. Thank right. you so much, Jake. Appreciate it. All right, so there was Jake. It's always great to have Jake on. You know, we we had him on. I think it was before the season. It was, yep. It where was we it was season. right before the season where we talked about. You know, it was on our two for roughing podcast, which is rolling. We'll be back on that next week. Um, but yeah, you know, we talked about the Rangers and, and we said this. You know, Jake said it. This was the year that they needed to make a step. And uh, personally, I think it's a bigger step than what we expected. One I'll giant leap for Ranger kind. But you know, Nick, going into this, Nick's like, "Oh, do I lead?" The, the the final out and I was like no I got it and he goes oh but it's 2022 I was like no it's not it's 2022 you gotta say it quick because if you don't then it's like we're back in it's Groundhog Day and we're okay. we're we're uh I almost said Billy Crystal it's Bill Murray 
Not great. I mean, they're both great, but no, we're not. It's not 2020. It's 2022. I said I said it's 2022. No, you said it's 2020. I I said it a little bit slow. You. (laughs) That's all. I just I went a little slow. You can't because then you get you get into that that scary moment. But um, but yeah, all right. Look, the Rangers, they've got you know, you mentioned it earlier. They got Vegas coming up um, right on the hop on Thursday. Yeah, this is this is a this is gonna be a this is their this is their Pacific West Coast swing. You know, they've got Vegas, they've got Anaheim, who has been Anaheim's been good. It's been been a surprise team. You know, again on on two for roughing. If if you haven't listened to the two for roughing podcast, I ask that you do because we talk about all NHL stuff. Um, Again, we've been off because of because of the holidays and because of COVID, and because I didn't want to talk about COVID on two two straight episodes, but. You know, we'll break down a lot of the stuff that's happened with the Winter Classic and things like that that we'll, we'll go on with, with next week. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the Ducks have been a good hockey team. Um, you know, a lot better than than been described. I know they're on a two-game losing streak, and they're, they're you know, they're more 500 in their last 10, but they're 17 and 11. 17, but, 11, and 7, second in the Pacific. But when you, know, you look when you look at that, you say that, you know, they're 500 in their last their – last, uh, their, their last couple of games. Uh, this is why, and this is what I always go back to in, in, a, in a season like the NBA, MLB, or NHL that are long seasons. That's why it's so crucial to get off to a long start because then the rest of the year, that's really what you play around. You pick up you, your you, points then you, you, you pick them up as much as you can, no matter how you can, you know, and we thought we said that about the Rangers earlier in the season where we said, you know, Hey, we, we could sit here and say it's unsustainable. It's not, it's not ideal, but you're not going to say, oh, I don't want the record. Right. We're, we're I don't not want the poli- wins. You're not going to give it back for, to you. Yeah, no, you're not going to You're, you're not doing that. So, and, but it's important to get those wins while you're finding your footing, because then you yeah. look at the opposite end of the spectrum. The New York Islanders had a really lousy start and now they're they, playing catch up. And, and it's, and it's still not, and they're still not, they're still having trouble. I mean, they're on a two-game winning streak. They've had a better last 10 before the COVID stuff and everything, but they got a lot. They got their workout. I mean, they're dead last in the division. Yes. Yeah, they're dead it's, last. It's the exact reason of why you'd rather play you from know? ahead than play from behind. And, so and if you it, say, hey, they could still get into, you know, top three. Well, the Pittsburgh Penguins just won eight in a row, and they're not even top three. They're six points behind Carolina, and the Penguins just won eight games in a row, and they're – Still six points out from being in the top three of the division. I know you got the wild card and all that, but whatever. But you 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 look at you know again. We'll go back to it. I'd rather have been. I, I'd rather have picked up the wins as we did, unsustainably. And you correct your things as you go. Which and they've now done. look at where we're where we're at. So hey, yep. Um, you never yeah. apologize for winning games. So you know, but they've got a, they've got an interesting trip. The, you know, this is a this is a big one. It's important because you've got you've got Vegas Thursday again. You got the, the Ducks on Saturday. You got the Kings who have been who have been, you know, up and down, but largely they've been good. Um, they've been tough to play against. You've got the Sharks who started out another team that started out ridiculously good. Um, they've fallen back down to earth. Uh, quite a bit, but they're still well, not. That's, that's the thing. There's no easy. There's not going to be an easy game no. on this trip. You know, like when you looked at the Arizona game, you're like, yeah, that's a game they should win pretty handily. They didn't. That was a tough game. No. So, 
it, it's just one look of the coyotes don't where... win but the coyotes aren't easy to beat they're right. a pain in the ass they're yeah. a pain in the ass and that's what i said the coyotes were gonna be um they're gonna be a pain in the ass are they good no should you lose to them no but you're not gonna walk in there you know, you know there's there's really no team nowadays in the nhl Outside of, I would say, you know, what the Coyotes and Ottawa, Seattle, Montreal, and Montreal that you're you're going in, and you're saying, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna ragdoll them. I mean, Buffalo, before Buffalo, you know, Buffalo was, oh, they're going so great. Well, Buff- look at where they are. Buffalo, now. Buffalo's tough though. They, 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 but having Alex Tuck now in the lineup with Peyton Krebs, they're a little bit tougher to play against. So. Yeah, so you got to pick up these points. You got to pick up these games. And look, at the end of the day, I look at it this way. Because a lot of people will say, well, they're not, they don't have a great record against the top teams, which is a fair argument. You could, you could use that argument, but it's a faulty argument because you don't all, you look at some of the other teams that are really good. If you're playing 500 hockey against the good to great hockey teams, but you're beating the sub 500 teams, you're better. <laughs> you're better off because. Good teams beat bad teams. That's what they're supposed they to do. Always will beat the bad teams. They will always take care of what they need to take care of, and that leaves you the luxury of playing around five hundred against these teams. Because guess what? When you go into the playoffs, you're going to play closer to five hundred unless you're just ridiculously good. Unless you, yeah, unless you're Tampa Bay, and you're just that much better than everybody else. Yeah, and I mean, and look what the Islanders did to Tampa last year. That was two a 500 years, series. Two, two, two years, years in a row. row. It, was, it was almost a toss-up. It was almost a toss-up. So, and you then know. you saw the difference last year in the cup final where Tampa Bay just said to Montreal, yeah, we're going to rag all the shit out of you guys. Yeah. I mean, Montreal gave it all. I mean, they spent it all against Vegas, and they, were, they won their cup. And they, you know, they poo-pooed in the poutine. So, oh so there you go. <laughs> All right. So, hey, it's great to be back. It's great to get rolling. Wow. We're, we're, I mean, to, to launch back with, with Jake Hahn is fantastic. I mean, Jake gives us – look, for Jake to take time out of his busy day with everything that he does on SiriusXM and everything he's got going on to join us. You know, he's gone on the Tomahawk show, which is, which is kind of a, a brother show of ours uh, with the Chicago Blackhawks on the FHN. Um, you know, it's just it's it's really awesome, and we're we're thrilled that this is where we can we could start the new year, twenty twenty two, off on the right foot. And I will let Nick take it away with the closing, whatever he decides to do for the new year. Oh, he's thinking. Oh no! Can this I get is- a whoop whoop? <laughs>